This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart to the show. Dr. Anne Louise is a pediatric psychologist, which I learned is different than a developmental psychologist you'll hear in our interview, a mom of two kids and has over 15 years experience in the field. She has a private practice, runs an Instagram page, and has been quoted in multiple online and print publications, including New York Times, New York Post, Fatherly Essence, Huffington Post, and the list goes on. Today, Dr. Lockhart is here to discuss transitions. Oh my goodness, this one was for me, it was for you, it was for all the moms and parents who have ever tried to wrestle their kids out the door in the morning to get anywhere. We're talking transitions. Why are they so hard for our kiddos? Why are they so hard for us? What common transition times do both kids and parents struggle with? Is this normal in everybody else's household? Is this also what they're going through? What are some ways that we can ease these transitions and make them go more smoothly? And we also talk a little bit about sticky brain and how to help our kiddos move past something that they've gotten really stuck on. So this is such an important interview as we're entering back into school. We're all in a period of transition. Buckle up, get ready. This one is really practical and timely. Let's hear my interview with Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. Hey mamas, have you heard the exciting news? We are rolling out a wellness clinic across the country. That's right, Canada's first maternal mental health nationwide clinic. So far we are offering services in Ontario. We've recently added Alberta and Saskatchewan. And while you're listening to this, we may be rolling out additional provinces in your location. To learn more and find a maternal mental health specialist that can serve you in your adjustment to motherhood, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Ann Louise, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Happy as a Mother podcast today. I've followed you on Instagram for, goodness, at least a year, year and a half now. I've seen your growth, I've seen the amazing offerings that you've put out there in the world. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Well, and thank you, Erica, for asking. The feeling is so mutual. I follow you and I love your page and your message and everything that you do too. So I'm very happy to be here. Oh, thank you. 
I'm so curious how you came to specialize in, in Canada, it's called developmental psychologist. I believe in the States, it's more like pediatric psychologist. I'm always trying to keep up with the difference in titles between Canada and U.S. because they always vary or like even state to state, they can vary. So I'm curious how you came to specialize in working with children and with that population. How did that journey shape for you? Yeah, definitely. So we also do have developmental psychologists here in the States as well, too. And they are different than pediatric psychologists. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is confusing. So as a pediatric psychologist, my training is working with the merging of medical diagnoses and psychological diagnoses. So it's having a good breadth and depth of knowledge in regards to the psych side and the medical side. So the training that I got, the exposure was really, I didn't even know this field existed when I was in my doctorate program. And when I was selected for a residency with the military as a civilian back in 2005 to work at a military hospital. And that's when I got exposure to working with children and their parents and caretakers in a hospital setting with a variety of medical diagnoses. So a lot of these individuals were deployed or injured in the war and really helping them adjust to not having a limb or burns or having post-traumatic stress and also helping their children adjust to a cancer diagnosis or sickle cell or pain or surgery or any of those kinds of things. And they would bring in a pediatric psychologist to help the families adjust to their new life Mm. or feelings about their life, those kinds of things. So I was integral as part of the medical team as a pediatric psychologist to have a good understanding of medicine and medical diagnoses, as well as how to deal with it from a psychological standpoint. So it's a fascinating area. Yeah, so fascinating. So it's not like helping the parents understand or working with children who are on the spectrum or ADHD because those would still fall under psychological diagnoses, but more the medical ones paired with the psychological impact that they have then on the child and the family. Right, exactly. But because of pediatric psychology, it's so broad. I did also work on the autism team and with ADHD as well. So it's really, you have to know a lot about a lot and not just surfacy, like really deep. Yes. Which was my challenge when I started my Instagram page because I liked so much. Yes. And knew so much about different things from my training. I was like, how do you specialize when you like a lot? <laughs> and so it's, I that's just. That's one of the <laughs> things. Yeah. You're, we're general practitioners, right? In the mental right. health field, we're sort of general practitioners. We have to know a lot of different things. And when I finally niched right down into maternal mental health, I was like, okay, I can run in this direction. Like this is just, but even within there, there can be a lot, right? So so much, right. And that's how, for me, that's where I just said, okay, let me do parent coaching and parent education. And within that, I could do all of it. And so that's where I started really kind of fine tuning it. Since I just have a lot of the exposure to that and can really educate parents on, okay, what if my kid is bedwetting? Or what if they have a trauma? What if they have cancer? What if they have ADHD? What if they are just, you know, really reserved and introverted. And so, yeah, so that's where kind of that path took me is just accidentally falling into this training area that I didn't even know was out there. So 
Interesting. I love to hear about people's stories and how they often kind of stumble their way into their specialty. I know that my specialty, maternal mental health, came through my own experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. As a mental health therapist, 10 years in the field, didn't even know that maternal mental health was a thing until I went through it myself, right? So it's always so interesting to learn about people's stories. And in us talking back and forth off the air, trying to decide what topic to really hone in on today, we came up with the topic of transitions. And I think that this is really timely given where we are I say as a country, we're in different countries, but, you know, in North America or in the world as we're transitioning through this pandemic time, currently in Ontario, we're hitting phase three today, which means we can finally dine into a restaurant and people can host weddings outdoors and some indoor facilities like gyms are opening back up. And in change, there are all the feels often, right? And some good and some bad. And I don't know that the sort of everyday person might label that as transitions and recognize those as a trigger, but maybe we can lay some of that foundation and talk about transitions and are they problematic for people? And do you see that with clients of yours? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a very timely topic because all over the world, people are dealing with different kinds of transitions, right? You said, Erica, for you in Toronto, you finally got to come out of your house and dine in at restaurants after since November, which is like, yeah, wow, you know, and like here in Texas, where I am, they opened up sooner, much sooner than that. But it was still this like, reluctance, this hesitation. Well, I don't want to go to a movie theater. Like we just went to the movie theater two weeks ago for the first time. But there was like three other people in the entire theater after like a year and a half of not going, you know? So it's like these transitions where you want to go back to your life, but you don't know what that looks like. Yeah. And I think for me, from a psychological, from a practical standpoint, I think we, as a human race, I mean, I think we've shown that many of us are very reluctant to change. Yeah. We don't want things to be different, right? When everything was going on lockdown, we're like, no, that's ridiculous. I'm going to go where I want. And then we didn't want to do it. And then we got used to it. We're like, well... I guess that's how it is. And I've seen so many people where they just got so used to being at home that when I challenged them in therapy to start getting out of the house, they didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel like they could do it. And I think it's that we just, we get habituated. We get used to and accustomed to a new thing, even if we like claw and fight at it when it first happens. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think about change and I think about why there is such a reluctance or such a hesitation. And it quickly draws me back into my own early childhood experiences with change. I got to tell you, they were not great. They were pretty traumatic, a lot of them. There was a lot of conflict. There was high conflict divorce. There was custody and access assessments. There was a slew of changes in my early childhood that made change something to be feared, that made change something to worry about, that made certainty and security something to grasp onto, right? And so I think that often when we've had experiences that shape us in that way, when we've experienced that kind of change, that often we don't see that change can be a beautifully positive thing and an enjoyable thing if we're tainted by negative experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a great point is that depending on how as adults we deal with certain things, 
there often is an origin story to it, right? As, as to why we have a challenge with something or why we are strong in a particular area. And so if you as an adult had experiences as a child or as a teenager where change meant trauma or change meant uncertainty or change meant something bad associated with it, I think that's how we get conditioned to things. And so then anytime there's change, like how dare you tell me I have to stay home or how dare you tell me I have to do whatever, then it's because it's a sense of gaining control. We're trying to fight the system that kept us oppressed or traumatized or feeling bad about ourselves. And then I think we claw and fight our way to feel a sense of empowerment. And sometimes we're fighting the wrong battle. We've kind of engaged in the wrong struggle. It's like, dude, that's not the thing you should be fighting but it's because it brings up those feelings of powerlessness and uncertainty mm. and unpredictability. And the pandemic is to me like the best example of all of that, that this is uncertain. Like when it first started, I remember we were just coming off of our spring break here in San Antonio last year. Yeah. And they told us, I was like, woohoo, one more week of spring break, guys. Sweet. We'll be back in another week. And then we're like, wait, papers are being sent home. Okay. Definitely by the end of the semester. Okay, definitely by the fall. Like it like it became so uncertain. Yeah. That we didn't even know what was going to be next and then it got scary. It got very like end of world apocalyptic feel to me. Yeah. You know? Mhm. It was weird. And so I think all of those transitions, they're not often associated with anything positive. Like usually when we think of transition, we think of terror and horror. And <laughs> I think that's why we fight it. Which I mean, and, and it's really hard and uh, like clients who might listen might laugh like when we've had a worst case scenario confirmed for us, it's really hard to take our brain down another path of, well, maybe it's not going to end up this way. But transitions are hard for people, generally speaking. They're particularly hard for children, which I want us to touch on a little bit in a moment. But I think that it's important for us to bring this conversation to light that like we're human and we all struggle with these transitions. So for example, I think about cyclical transitions that happen, like change is happening in our lives all the time. And I think that when it's positive change, we don't maybe pay as close attention to it. We may not notice it. Things just kind of like ebb and flow as normal. And then big transitions, like I think of back to school or when I was on maternity leave back to work, or there are like these key times and ebbs and flows and seasons that can really put us on high alert or kids' anxiety might escalate or things because they're like big, big changes in routine. But I think that it's important for us, like we're bringing this conversation to like to normalize that we're going to have feelings about it. And then how are we going to manage these transitions, right? Knowing it's okay. I used to always have stress dreams going back to school. I used to like dream that I, I missed class or like I messed up my timetable. Like I just am a little bit anxiously wired in that way. So I was always sort of like, you know, struggled with that transition a little bit. But then once I understood that about myself, I knew how to help bridge that gap and ease that transition, which is some of the goal of what we're going to do here today. Right. 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 And I think, you know, bringing up those points as well, too, is that I believe that what happens in our brain kind of from a neurophysiological, psychological standpoint is that we try to fill in the gaps of things we don't know. Mm. We try to make sense of things that we haven't had experience with. So if you don't know what to expect, which is why I think people become terrified or scared. Well, you know, like when kids are separated from their parents, well, what if you drop me off at school and I get sick or you don't come back? Like 
if I don't know what to expect, my brain is going to tell me what are the worst case scenarios or what are the scenarios that could potentially happen. And I think even as adults, we do the same thing is that we try to make sense of things that are unknown, uncertain, unpredictable. And we try to figure out, okay, wait, so if I text my friend and they haven't texted me back, maybe they've dropped me as a friend. Or if I say something and this person looks at me funny, or maybe I offended them. We create these narratives around the unknown, which tends to go badly because we often don't, it doesn't come from a place of, oh yes, my friend didn't text me back. Or maybe their phone ran out of battery juice. Like we don't ever think that. We think, oh my gosh, I'm probably the worst friend and they just ghosted me and they dropped me. Yeah. They must be mad at me. I must've done something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's based on those prior experiences that we had usually in childhood Mm -hmm. that created this narrative and the script that I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'm unlikable. People don't like me. Change is hard. I don't deal well with change. And we have all these scripts that we have. And I believe that's why transitions are hard is that we, we go from these old narratives that we, you know, go into our filing system, pull up and we replay it. Yeah. Thinking like, yeah, that's why it's hard because I'm a hard uh, to love person or I'm a difficult person or I don't like change. Right. And we label ourselves. Well, I can see that if I'm looking back at like little me scared to go to school probably had so much to do with like acceptance. Am I worth loving? Am I going to make new friends? Are they going to like me? Are they going to whatever those narratives were at that time? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. One of the things that I love to do, and I used to work in a developmental psychology practice with children and families in all shapes and sizes in different ways. There was a farm and it had therapeutic animals and equine horseback riding for like equine therapy. And anyways, so when I worked with a lot of kids, we did a lot of normalizing change, a lot of seeing the beauty in change. What are the things that are changing around us that are exciting and bring us joy, like the seasons that change and just trying to balance out that perspective a little bit. And as an adult, I do this still all the time is what are five other realistic outcomes that could happen other than this worst case scenario that my, you know, narrative wants to tell me right now. I want to join a new mommy group, let's say, right? And I'm going to go there and like not going to feel accepted or they're all going to parent a certain way that's different than me or whatever. I'm going to feel judged. I'm going to feel shamed. What are like even three, if we can't even get to five, what are three other realistic things that could happen in that situation? I might make a friend or I might have an enjoyable conversation. Even if I don't make a friend on the first time that I go, maybe there's moms who are going through similar things as me right now with kids in the same age group and we can relate on some level. And these changes, if we try to challenge our perspective and round out our perspective, we can start to see or train our brain or train our eye to look for some of the flip side of these transitions and changes. Yeah, I agree. I love that because I think usually that's one of the things that I practice most often with clients that I see is that when you think of the worst case scenario, let's say, okay, that could happen, but what else could happen? And I usually like to challenge them with what's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario. And then what's a realistic scenario. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that way you're really balancing it out. And I think, again, what you're doing is you're playing new narrative in your brain so that your brain isn't so focused on the catastrophe, the possibility of it, 
but it's also rehearsing all the other scripts and narratives that could play out. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes where you're in a sense rehearsing, which is in psychology, that's one of the best ways to deal with phobias and anxieties is to do imaginal exposure. So you expose your mind to the feared thing or response or event in your head first, in your imagination. Hmm. And when you do that, it's like you're creating an outline and a script for your future self to deal with what if. Hmm. And I find that it works really well because then when you're in the situation, you're like, ah, I remember I rehearsed this in my head already. So rather than thinking, well, what if I do this and this horrible thing happens? I also rehearsed if this horrible thing does happen, this is what I can do. These are my options. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really effective way. So that way we're not having this unbalanced approach to transitions or to change or to potentially scary events is you're actually giving your brain the time to look at it from different perspectives. Interesting. And that way you can stay more grounded. And I think for a lot of moms who are in places where things are opening back up again, like you said, and navigating right now, should I go to this thing or I have a newborn or I have a child who's not vaccinated yet and I feel really unsure about going and doing these things, if they have a bit of a plan or some criteria that they've worked through, well, we're going to go. And if, you know, these indicators show up that say that this place is not safe, then maybe we'll leave. But they've walked through like, okay, what are the deal breakers? What would cause me to leave? Or what is the behavior that, you know, I'm going to tolerate? And what am I not going to tolerate? And then they've sort of thought it through and weighed the risk as well, rather than just clinging on to with certainty that that worst case scenario will happen. Right. Yeah. And that's what builds flexibility. And I think exactly. flexibility of all the different things that we struggle with, I think that is a an, very helpful and necessary skill for ourselves and to teach our children. Because again, with flexibility, then you will handle transitions better because then you can say like, when my husband and I wanted to go to the movie theater and we were, we were looking at one theater, we're like, Ooh, we could go to this mall and then we can go to the theater. And this is when we were on vacation. And then we checked it and it was like almost completely full with only like three seats left. And I'm like, I don't want to go to a completely full movie theater, you know, now. So we looked, we're like, well, there's another one down the street. And that one had like all the seats available except three were sold. I'm like, okay, well, that's probably the one we want. Right. So that's flexible thinking is that, yes, although it'd be more convenient to just go here because we're right here, flexibility says, well, but that's not going to make me feel the most comfortable. So let's pivot and change and go to this next option. Yes. And that's where I think we, especially as moms, we tend to be so hard on ourselves thinking, oh, great, my plans didn't work. I'm such a screw up mm. or they didn't work perfectly like I thought. So I must be a bad mom. No, it just means you have to pivot, like give yourself more compassion mm -hmm. and allow yourself to know that not everything is going to work out like you expected. And that's okay because it's such a good model for the people in your life, for your children. And then what you're doing is you're rehearsing so that the next time you might be more flexible, more adaptable and kind of smoothly go past the challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of scenarios that are coming up in my mind with my kids. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me. Oh, they're fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's one in particular when, when we were in a season of change. And so my oldest son, we had just moved houses and big change. And he's how old? He is six. Okay. And 
I know that that's a big change. And, you know, I feel like when we know and can attribute it to a situation, we have more patience for it than another example I'll give you in a moment. And so, you know, we're being really mindful of that, tracking for any sort of regressions or potty regressions, just keeping an eye out because we know we're going through a big change as a family. We've moved, you know, households. They've been there since they were born. Like, it's a big deal for them, for all of us. And so, you know, we got it into the car to go to daycare and he had a really big meltdown at six years old. He doesn't typically have them about his water bottle. And he wanted to take his water bottle to daycare because at daycare, they only give him a cup of water when he asks for it. And he can't drink water whenever he wants it. And he wants to be able to control how much water he drinks and when he drinks it because he wants his water bottle at daycare. You know, mm -hmm. and I can see how when we tie in, I'm seeing all these sort of strings weaving together here as we're talking about transitions. We're talking about a tolerance for change, an ability to deal with change. We're talking about flexibility mm -hmm. and we're talking about control and certainty. Right. And in a time when he's going through a transition and there's a lot that feels chaotic and there's a lot that feels out of control in his six-year-old brain, one of the things that he can control is his consumption of his water and his food, mm -hmm. right? right? And I understood that and it was we worked through it and I saw that for what it was. And I think that in a situation like that, when we're moving, it's like, okay, we can understand those big examples are those big times when those things are happening. And then I have another child who is four, who I'm keeping a curious eye out for, could be ADHD, potentially, like we're kind of, you know, monitoring. He's still young, very sticky brain. Mm. He has a very, very sticky brain. And so transitions, especially when we're tired, are very difficult for him. And so that, I think, when it's maybe more woven into, like, temperament or how, you know, our child functions can be harder for parents to deal with because it's an ongoing power struggle that happens. There's an ongoing battle for control that happens. There's not a lot of flexibility, especially when he's tired from his part. So there's a lot of patience required from my part <laughs> and, you know, uh, deep breathing and regulating myself that has to happen because there's a real gridlock that can take place, right? And I know that as I'm explaining this, and I use this as an example purposefully because I know a lot of moms likely have very spirited children who get really stuck, Yes. right? Right. How do we move a child who has real sticky brain on something through a transition, whether that be a transition to put shoes on and get out the door into the van, whether that's a transition off of screen time or a transition to the dinner table to eat. There's so many of these little transitions that happen in our day to day, right? Yes. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as parents, and it's very easy to do, is our child is engrossed in something that they love. And then we're like, we're leaving, let's go. Yes. And then they fall out. And we're like, what in the world is this about? And then you get frustrated. They pick up on your frustration. And then there's this big blow up, right? Yes. And if you were doing something and you were engrossed in something that you loved, a show you're watching, a good little nap, a good ice cream sundae, whatever. And someone is like, okay, throw it away. Let's go. 
you might be a little bit <laughs> peeved as well too, right? Totally. Yes, I would be. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And yet we have these different standards for our children. And so what I find helps a lot, and this worked a lot when I would see kids in my practice, as well as with my own children, is join them in the activity first. Mm. So they're playing with Legos, they're drawing, they're even watching a TV show. And you know you need to leave in 30 minutes or you need to transition to something, to dinner in in 20 minutes, whatever it is, bath time, whatever it is, anything that is more ridiculously boring to them and undesirable than the thing that they're doing now. You join them in the activity they love and you be interested in it. So Mm -hmm. if they're playing Legos or with blocks, you're like, ah. And you sit with them, you cuddle with them, you look, you ask them questions, you engage, whatever it is. And then you tell them what's going to happen while being of their eye contact rather than yelling across the house or across the floor and say, hey, buddy, in 20 minutes, you're going to put on your shoes and we're going to head out the door. Okay, so what are you doing right now? That's so cool. And you just Mm. do that. And then again, in 10 minutes, in five minutes, and then you start to transition them. Okay, we have five more minutes left. Let's go ahead and start cleaning up. Okay, you get the red ones. I'll get the blue ones. You know, you put away these clothes. I'll put away these clothes. That's where, to me, the co-regulation comes in. And the co-regulation is doing things along with them to balance out the situation. I think as parents, we have this idea that kids can do certain things that they really cannot do. Because they're smart, they're verbal, they can do other things just fine. Why can't they clean up their room? Why can't they put away their blocks? And if you look at how some kids' playrooms are, would you blame them if they have a meltdown because they have to clean all of this up? Where do I even start? Yeah. And with their underdeveloped and undeveloped brains, whether it's because of ADHD or autism or just because they're little, yeah, they don't know how to do these things. So then that transition to go from something fun to something miserable as far as they're concerned is the worst. So just going and being with them and joining them in their activity, I have found, I mean, I can't say it works 100% of the time, but a big part of the time it works extremely well Mm -hmm. because you are being interested in the thing they're interested in. And that's connecting. And when you're connected to someone, you want to go alongside them. You want to be with them. And I remember, Erica, when a few years ago, my kids were always getting into this big issue every time we would say, okay, time to turn off the show. It's time for dinner or whatever it is. And it was this particular show they were watching. And we're like, what is the big deal? What I, you know, and Mm -hmm. my husband and I, I said, okay, let's just join them and watch the show with them. And we sat down and watched it with them. We're like, hey, okay, what's going on? And they're like, okay, this is Carmen Sandiego. I'm like, I love this show when I was a kid. Like, this is so cool. So we were watching it with them and it always ends on a cliffhanger. So I was like, wait, they're going to end it. Let's watch the next one. And they're like, wait, I thought we were supposed to go wherever we we're going to go. I'm like, no, no, let's just watch one more. So we watched four more episodes. With them. <laughs> it was a really good show. Yeah, of so course. And so like, you didn't even want to transition out of it. I didn't right? want to transition. Right. And they kept saying, mommy, daddy, we're supposed to turn it off. <laughs> and that's when I was able to say, okay, guys, I get it. Now I understand why you don't like to end the show because it's one of those shows that you want to keep watching it, the next one. Yeah. Because they leave it with you hanging about what's going to happen next. And when you can be interested in the things that your kid is interested in and be present and fully like just immersed in it, that is like an amazing gift for them. And that's for anybody, like anybody wants that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of my go-to is joining them in the activity 
and then providing that limit for the next step. And I find that works really well with building flexible kids. Well, and I think that it's a reframe on the narrative we would usually tell ourselves. So I say to my son, tablet down time for dinner. It's not how I approach it, but if I did, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't drop it immediately, I'm like, how disrespectful that you're not listening when mommy asks you to do something. When really, he's like midway, a couple minutes left in his, whether it's a level he's playing on his game or he's at the tail end of a video he's watching, you know, and if I prime that transition and I consider that from his perspective, it's not that he wants to purposefully disrespect me. He's very engrossed in what he's doing, right? And so we do a lot of visual timers or we'll say like, hey, Google, set a timer for however many minutes because it chimes so everybody can hear it. And so they'll even tell Google to set the timer so they know when we've got a transition out of something because it's just one of those things that we've used to help to like prime, okay, a transition's coming in five minutes. Hey, Google, set a timer, right? And it just kind of keeps them thinking about it. They can visually see how much the clock has gone down for the time. More when they're young, now that they're older, they can actually like see the clock and track it a little bit more. But visual things and prompts really, really help. And then with my middle one who really gets sticky brain, I find that I have to come alongside him to help him transition. Mm -hmm. So there is like a okay, you don't want to brush your teeth and change for bed. Here, take mommy's hand. We'll go do it together. And there's a real sort of, I say physical, but it's not like grab him and physically take him and make him do it. But there's a real sort of like guidance through the task that sometimes has to happen for him as well. And like one linear task at a time, like one thing, we complete it and then we give an instruction for the other thing or he's off somewhere else, right? Like, finding lovies or (laughs) tormenting his brothers or something. So yeah, the joining them where they're at, visual timers are really helpful. However, you prime that transition in a way that's like, hey, heads up, like this change is looming. This is coming, you know, really helpful. I love that. I think if they're more verbal and they're more kind of savvy, you can even ask them, If things are hard and you're constantly like, no, everything I've done, I'm listening to every expert and nothing works, right? And then you say, okay, so, you know, even just asking your child, like, you know, I noticed that every time it's time for bed or bedtime or staying in your bed or eating your food or whatever, it's so hard for you. And then I end up yelling or you end up crying or like, what's hard about it for you? Mm -hmm. What's hard about going to bed or what's hard about brushing your teeth or what's hard about staying in your bed? What's hard about eating your meal? And if you can just ask them, those who are more verbal again, what's hard about it? Then it gets them to start kind of step back and think, yeah, well, what is hard about brushing my teeth? Oh, I don't like how minty it is, or I don't like the feeling of the toothbrush or whatever it is. You can listen out for the themes Mm -hmm. behind the difficulty, the challenge, and then you can get into problem solving with them, finding a solution. Say, oh, you know what? Well, most problems have solutions. If you don't like the texture of the toothbrush, maybe it's too hard. Maybe we need to get a softer one. Or you don't like the taste of the toothpaste, maybe we need to get a more gummy, fruity one. Let's look for one together. Yeah. And so that way you can empower your children to feel like when they're having a challenge with something, it doesn't just end with this like gridlock between you and your grown up. Find a solution together and then put it back on your kid to be empowered to take charge of the things that they find hard 
so that they can start learning how to find solutions. And that helps create kids who are advocates for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that if they have someone picking on them at school or a teacher who's treating them unfairly or whatever it is, someone who makes them uncomfortable, they know that I can speak up for myself because I know this is hard because of blank. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really helpful thing to a, a useful thing rather to give to our children is to say, I care about you. I care about what you think about this. Because if we insert our own theories about why something is hard, we may miss it. We may think, oh, they just don't want to brush their teeth because they're lazy. No, maybe they're not brushing their teeth because it tastes gross mm -hmm. and they're sensitive to the taste. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Another example is coming up in my mind when I think about transitions because how you had mentioned co-regulation and how I deal with transitions and resistance to transitions is so determined on how my mood is that day and, and my capacity that day. I think about we're having a reoccurring challenge right now with my oldest and the seams on his socks that feel, you know, very problematic to him. At the exact second, we're trying to walk out the door and there's usually a time crunch and we've got daycare drop off and mommy's trying to make it to the gym. And, you know, when there is a transition that has a timeline on it, most moms and most parents, generally speaking, really start to feel the pressure. And that's when my patience like wears down to like a nil, right? And so the sock thing being an example, and we problem solve it in the moment as like, well, you can wear sandals so that you don't have to wear socks that have a seam on them. That's going to help us for right now because it's summer. You're going to have to deal with this sock issue come wintertime when, you know, he has to wear socks, but they can really gridlock us. And I think that this part that we play in these transitions, maybe we can unpack that a little bit because I have the ability to derail the situation in this moment because I'm like frazzled or to try and keep it on course as best I can with, you know, my deep breathing and things. So how can we, like, we've talked about presenting our child with some options and we've talked about assisting them through the transition, but I feel like sometimes I need assistance in making it through this transition. And what are things that we need to do as parents in order to to make that a successful transition out the door, for example? Yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the most important questions because I think we focus so much on what can we do to our child or to make our child do blank. And um, we forget that we are the bigger part of the solution. And I think one big thing is, and I do this for myself because just because I do this doesn't mean I have perfect parenting, okay? (laughs) Um, Is to look at the behavior and not take the behavior personally. And you mentioned that earlier. It's about, we think, oh, they're disrespecting me, right? That's a personal attack, right? I would never have gotten away with that in my house. How dare they... And, you know, how ungrateful they are. We have all these things that we say in our head about this little child that we think they're existing to ruin our life in that moment. (laughs) And that feels that will anger you. And so the reaction that you get will be very dysregulated. And then you're going to react to a situation and then you're punishing them for something where, and you're reacting in just kind of the same way. Yes. (laughs) Right. So our own adult temper tantrum. So I think in the moment, (laughs) we have to not take the behavior personally. I mean, it's easier said than done, but we have to not take it personally. Their behavior is not about you. Yeah, It's not about you. It's about them. And it really is about them because I think if we start to say, they're getting out of bed to ruin my day, Mm -hmm. they're getting out of bed to ruin my sleep, 
No, maybe they're getting out of bed because they're scared. It has nothing to do with you. Right. Or they're getting out of bed because they want to connect with you because they feel like they've missed out because you've been working more often than normal or whatever it is. Right. And we just see it as they're not listening to the rule or they're just they're disrespecting me in some way or they're just being disobedient or whatever that perception is, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I think with that, then we have to look at, okay, what is, you know, one of the things that Ross Green talks about in his research and his work is about looking at the unmet need. What is the unmet need going on? What is the true issue? And I think so often we look at the behavior and we want to punish the behavior. And my view is that, no, let's look at the need behind the behavior. So rather than punishing or addressing or lecturing or nagging the behavior, let's look behind it. What's the smoke screen behind it? that's actually driving the behavior. Right. So the seams in the socks are irritating because, wow, you were fine before we had to leave. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's a big issue. Right. Or, wow, you were thoroughly hydrated before bedtime and now you need all this water. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> right. All of a sudden, but you're a camel. To... Like, you just need to... Right, yeah. exactly. Fill up, apparently. <laughs> exactly. And one more kiss and hug and... So all these things that are so irritating because we think it's about us, we think that they're trying to be defiant or manipulate the situation or they should know better. Mm. And I think we have to really take a step back and say, no, we have to look at what is the need they're communicating? What is the theme behind these behaviors? What is the message they're trying to send me? And let me talk to that. Let me address that. Mm-hmm. Let me speak to that instead. Yeah. And it's amazing. You'll feel the tension decrease because of that. So that way you can really help them. And I think another big part too is to educate yourself and to keep that in mind in terms of developmental skills. Like kids at like certain where age. where they're at developmentally. Yeah, where they're at yeah. developmentally. I think many times we push kids further along than they actually are. That we think that, oh, well, my four-year-old should know how to clean up their room or my five-year-old should know how to put their dishes in the dishwasher or my teenager should know how to, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's, well, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know how to do it or maybe it's their executive functioning skill in that area of organization or time management or planning or emotional regulation is underdeveloped because of ADHD or because of autism or because they're immature or whatever is going on. Yeah. And I think we have to look at all of that is that kids don't have the same mindset as us. They don't see time the same way we do. And even if they understood time, because they can see it on the clock or the visual timer, it's not as important to them as it is to us. What does it mean to leave in 10 minutes? I don't know what that means. What does 10 minutes even mean? (laughs) Right. And why does it matter to me when all I want to do is watch Paw Patrol right now or whatever? Like, yeah. Right. Even you, when we were talking and I said, yeah, I'm glad it's Friday. And you're like, oh, it's Friday. Like, and you know the days of the week. (laughs) Yeah. And it still means nothing to me because, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I think that that's such a great strategy as parents that we need to depersonalize the behavior and remind ourselves that it is not a slight against us. It is not a defiance. Like how we're interpreting that behavior is so critical and how we're going to manage it, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm telling myself that my, so we're in this new house, I was saying, and the kids were sleeping really amazing. We were like, wow, we didn't expect this. We were preparing for like, you know, the worst case scenario. 
and we've been here for a month and now all of a sudden everyone just like hops from room to room when we go downstairs and they think it's a party where everyone's like going from room to room we're gonna have to deal with this tonight we're gonna have a conversation about it because mommy's over it we're gonna have to come at it from a perspective of you know what's going on like what has changed in the past week that all of a sudden now everyone thinks it's a free-for-all upstairs versus everybody was contently staying in their beds before And if I'm seeing and perceiving that as, well, they're just being defiant or they know the rules and they should know better and I'm taking it really personally, I'm going to go into that conversation guns a-blazing, you know, like, stay in your freaking room. It's bedtime, right? (laughs) Maybe not freaking, but whatever. And I'm going to, (laughs) like, lay down the law, right? Um, Okay, this is an aside. (laughs) I have to go here for a second. (laughs) (laughs) My four-year-old came out with the F word the other day. I'm like standing doing dishes. (laughs) I swear on everything that I've never said the F word around my children. If you do, all the power to you. I don't. And he came out with the F word clear as day. And I stopped in my tracks. was like, where did you hear that? I'm not entirely convinced it's not my parents, but that's a whole other story. So (laughs) and I was like, oh, we don't say that word here. But anyways, sorry. (laughs) So back to bedtime. And, And so if I'm interpreting that behavior as something that is really a slight to me and I'm taking it personally and it's disrespectful and you know the rules and, you know, we've gone through this before. I'm going to go in with a real different mindset and it's probably going to be my way or the highway. It's going to be really like strict and one-sided and not collaborative at all, right? Versus me understanding that there is something going on there, either a want or a need or something. And if I can go in with a curious perspective, taking myself out of the situation and just trying to understand what's going on there, I might learn that maybe one of them is scared to be by themselves, or maybe they had a bad dream and now they want to be with their brother. Maybe they want more snuggles with their baby brother before they go to bed because snuggles are a big thing or who knows the reasoning. Or maybe it's just that they want a marker, in which case a boundary will be set that they get the marker in the morning and not this evening. But go into it collaboratively and we have to take ourselves out of it in order to do that. Yes, exactly. And maybe it's because they feel more comfortable in the house now that you've been in a month and they feel comfortable to explore. Right. Because it's safe, because it's familiar. Yes. Maybe there's fully good intentions behind their behavior. Like when you feel comfortable in an environment, whether you go to a party and at first you feel like really like you're going to obey and follow the rules or whatever it is. So true. They might be, but you know, you feel like you're on the wall, you're standoffish and then you feel like you're loosening up. You see people, you're talking to people you enjoy, you got some food in your belly and then you're like, you know, loosen up because now you can explore, you can like socialize. And it's the same thing that when you're in a new setting, a new classroom, Mm -hmm. a new play group, a new class, whatever it is, you're initially kind of reluctant. You're just kind of, you don't know what to expect. And then once you know what to expect, just like why kids act up more around their parents versus strangers, it's because they know what to expect from you, right? They know what to expect from you. They know, hopefully, that their relationship with you is secure, that you love them regardless and accept them. The new teacher that they're going to or the daycare provider that they're not familiar with, they don't know if they can do something that will get them rejected. And so they are more reluctant. So maybe they're just jumping from room to room in their house because it's been a month out and you're like, woohoo, 
Ooh, I can explore now because I feel comfortable yeah. and I feel safe, you know? And I think that's where we have to really look at, you know, and I remember hearing this on, uh, I think it was on Red Table Talk. And I remember from uh, Jay Shetty and he talked about how instead of you versus the problem, it's you and your spouse or you and your person versus the problem. And I see that the same thing with parenting. Yes, It's that it's not your child is the problem or you're the problem. It's about you and your child versus the problem. And that's where that collaborative approach, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. is key. Mm -hmm. So rather than your kid being seen as the problem, you are keeping me up at night. You are making me lose my freaking mind. You (laughs) are whatever. Mm -hmm. You're saying, no, no, no. It seems like we have a problem. It seems like we get on each other a lot when it's time for bed, or it seems like we're kind of, you know, getting really frustrated with one another when it's time to transition to dinner time. Like, what do you think the problem is? What's the real issue that's going on here? And you solve it. Yeah. Or, you know, you do it in a way that let's try out different ways of handling this issue. Let's see how we can figure this out. Yeah. And I think if you can look at it, whether they're verbal or not, you look at it as your child is not the problem. It's you and your kid versus what that unmet need is or what that issue is. That's the real issue. And when I think about my four-year-old and my six-year-old, they're so capable of coming up with solutions. Like, Mm -hmm. they're so capable. They might be like, oh, I want a nightlight in my room or I want my own piece of paper and my own markers so that I don't have to take my brothers. Like, I suspect that based on that conversation that we're going to have later, there will be solutions presented by them. Definitely. Ones that, quite frankly, I'm quite okay with as long as you stay in your freaking room, right? So... (laughs) When we take for that collaborative approach, and I never thought about the safety piece, but I think you're so right. Like, they'll march on downstairs when I just sit my butt down to watch my show after a long day. <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> I have whatever. But they they are comfortable to roam this big house that was foreign to them mm-hmm. before, right? So I think that's such a valid observation. Yeah. I think that two of the biggest transitions, and we've touched on them a bit, that parents like moms that I work with struggle with are the transition from daycare or school to home teacher or daycare providers Mm -hmm. like, Oh, they had such a great day with me today. They were so well behaved. And then like they melt down for like the entire evening. That's the worst. Yeah. And then the getting to bed and transitioning and like coming out of the room is another really big one that parents speak with me about. Can we try and provide a few strategies around those two key times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing is, again, go back to yourself and go back to what are you giving off? What energy are you giving off? Because I find a lot of parents and I went through the same thing when the teacher would tell me, oh, he was fine before you got here. I was like, well, that doesn't help me feel any better. (laughs) It doesn't feel good. Whatsoever. (laughs) That doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. And so what what would end up happening is that I would walk in anticipating the meltdown. Mm. I would walk in anticipating the bad attitude, right? And if you do that, what do you think they're going to pick up on from you? They're going to pick up this negative, hostile, you know, kind of parent who's waiting for them to have this bad behavior. And if you feel as a kid that people perceive you as bad or going to make bad choices or that you are a problem Mm. or that you're too much for this grown-up to handle... What do you think they're going to show you? So I think we have to look at those studies that talk about mirror neurons and how we reflect the emotions, the tones, the behaviors of others in our environment. Yeah. That rings so true for couples, Mm -hmm. but also for parents and children. It's like, what is your child picking up on from you? 
And so if your kid is having a bad attitude, then <laughs> that what is about you? Have right you now. been having a bad attitude? Right? right? Yes. Have you been having a stinking bad attitude too? And you think you're hiding it and mm, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So I think, again, check yourself first uh, before you wreck yourself. <laughs> check yourself. <laughs> And and then really look at, okay, my kid is acting up because maybe I have been having an attitude as well too. And kids will pick up on, am I safe emotionally and physically around this grown up? Or do I have to defend myself through fight, flight, or freeze? Because if I am vulnerable, I can get hurt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, so once we do that, then we can anticipate it by planning ahead. Again, you build flexibility. So letting them know that, hey, I'm going to come back for you around between 3 and 3.30. And when I come back to pick you up, what are some cool things we can do when we get home together? What are some things you would like to do with mommy? Or what are some things you'd like to do with your sister or whatever before we do the next thing? Or what would be a special thing you and I can do every Thursday? But you kind of build in that anticipation or say that, you know, sometimes when I pick you up, it seems like you're not quite ready to be picked up. What's going on? And I actually did that with my son back when we were having these issues. And he says, it's not that I'm not happy to see you, mama. It's just that you come at the time when I'm in the middle of doing something really important. Mm. And then I have to stop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that makes sense to me. So how about when I come and I show up and you're in the middle of something important? Why don't you just tell me that? Right. And we wait. And he's like, oh, So that's what we would do. He's like, I'm in the middle of drawing something really important. He's like, okay, how much more time do you need? He's like, "Mm, maybe 10 minutes. Okay, that sounds good to me. And so, you know, being able to, again, look at what is the thing driving the behavior, identify the need if the child can verbalize it to you, and then problem solve it. So that way you can really get in front of it and be able to identify what is truly going on. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't feel good when you haven't seen your kid all day, for example, you pick them up and then they're like, like, really, this is what I came back for. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel good. And so I think if you can really get in front of it, identify it and then problem solve together, I really, it always goes back to that. And then teaching your kid the skill, mm. how to transition, how to be flexible, how to ask for what you need, and then do it, practicing it other times when you're not crunched for time. Yeah. The time crunch is a really big It's a really big trigger for parents, right? Like they have somewhere they got to be. And kids, kids who are anxious, kids who are people pleasers, kids who are perfectionistic, kids who are highly sensitive, kids who have ADHD. Want to be on time, don't want to walk into class late, don't want to draw undue attention, all of that, right? All of it. Kids with, you know, sensory processing, kids with all these kinds of things that are going on. That now, not now time crunch is really triggering for a lot of kids. Yeah. So I think we have to be able to allow ourselves and allow them time to transition and then giving them skills to learn how to transition, how to build flexibility and then doing role plays through playing with them, Mm. like doing things where the characters have to transition or, you know, or, Hey, let's do this fun activity. You know, well, what if we decide we want to go to the park on Saturday and it's raining, then what should we do? Mm -hmm. Like those what if scenarios are really gold because it provides again, that script kind of full circle, that script in their head. Oh yeah. I really, really want to go to the park or I really want to go to the pool, but what if it's pouring rain or what if it's closed Or what if it's too many people and I feel uncomfortable? Okay, then we can do this instead. Mm -hmm. So really walking them through, there's more than one option. There's more than one choice. We don't just have to go this path. 
There's many ways to go down a fun path. There's many ways to spend our Saturday, for example. It doesn't just have to be this yeah. way. And then that way they can learn to pivot and maneuver when things don't work out like we expected. And I think that one of the biggest things that has also helped with me regulating myself, knowing that these are going to be high trigger times for me, I'm depleted, I've had a long day. So when I had to rush to like pick kids up from daycare, it's a little bit different now with COVID schedules. But when I had to like, you know, be on this timely schedule, leave clients, rush to daycare, make sure I got there on time. I always had a snack on the way because I knew I was hungry. Mm. So I would do these sort of proactive or protective things for myself. Or if I haven't eaten dinner yet because I haven't been able to sit down with the kids because I'm getting ketchup and spicy sauce every five seconds, then I am still hungry and haven't eaten. And then it's bedtime. I will make sure to have a snack so that I have like I'm not starving and I have some patience and there isn't so much urgency to that transition because I'm just like trying to get out of there, too. Mm Because my kids pick up on that. When I'm trying to like work my way out of a tuck-in and I'm cutting them short on their time, they know, right? Mm -hmm. So there is sort of this piece of me that not expects that it will go badly, but knows the reality of what bedtime looks like with three kids and their ages and what that's going to require from me. And so taking some of those proactive steps to have a snack or make sure I have a transition time of 10 or 15 minutes built into my schedule before I get them that I can breathe for a moment because it's been a busy day. And those things go a long way in me having some of the patience to be flexible and think on my feet in the moments rather than just trying to like be starving and get home to get dinner or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of parents listening because we really don't think about transitions why they're challenging, the power struggles that come into play, the flexibility that is required from us, and how even to teach that flexibility to our children. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on this Friday that I did not know was happening on Friday. Yes, you're so welcome. Where can people find you? Yeah. Where can people find you online? Where can they find your offerings? What do you have in terms of resources for those listening? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. So they can find me at my website at a new So it's a new day SA as in San Antonio.com. Uh, I'm very active on Instagram as well. And on my website, by the way, they can get links to my classes. I have several classes, several courses on a variety of topics. I have one coming up next week, actually on co-regulation, how to have a healthy, mm-hmm. happy, balanced parent as yourself and how to build it in your kids. But I also have courses on how to parent kids with ADHD, anxiety, high sensitivity. So I have a lot of resources there. And then on Instagram at Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart, providing a lot of resources for parents that are flexible, that are judgment-free, and be able to provide different perspectives on why children behave the way they do, how you can respond to them differently, and how you can approach things differently. So, And then on Facebook as well at A New Day Pediatric Psychology, which is my practice. Yeah, we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes and then the blog posts that pair with this episode so that people can find you easily. And I know that I've learned so much by following your offerings on Instagram as well. I had seen in your stories talking about your kids like clean up on the weekend. Yes. And we've instilled now and incorporated this like family cleanup time together before we transition into like more free time. Love that. And it's all hands on deck and they do so great. <laughs> so so I've gotten so many fun and cool ideas like that from you as well. So Thank you. again, 
Thank you for joining us. And all of that stuff will be linked in the show notes. Thanks for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.